Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Nikoroi Hawkins. Coming up first... They had no more anchor on board and they drifted all the way from Port Moresby to Alotau. Papua New Guinean fishermen have found alive after weeks adrift at sea also... Um, so this is the FLNKS making a statement that the decolonisation issue is still alive. The French Interior Minister Dalmanas is due to meet a united FLNKS in Numea this week and... It's a, an incredibly rich and intellectual cultures across the Greater Pacific. First Nations Writers reaches out to Pacific authors. Just before we get into all that, we're following an unfolding story in Vanuatu as of mid-afternoon Wednesday. The Category 4 Severe Tropical Cyclone Judy was bearing down on the southern Vanuatu island of Eromango and approaching Tana. Judy's destructive winds gusting up to 230 kilometres per hour were being felt across Tafia province. At the time this program was recorded, it was moving at 25 kilometres an hour in a south-southeasterly direction. The Vanuatu Met Office says heavy rainfall and thunderstorms were to be expected over central, southern and parts of the northern islands of Vanuatu, with flash flooding expected in low-lying areas, areas close to the riverbanks, and to expect very rough to phenomenal seas with heavy to very heavy swells. Again, as of Wednesday afternoon, a red alert was in effect, in effect for Shefa and Tafia provinces, yellow alert for Malampa province and blue alert for Panama, Sanma and Torba provinces. For the latest news on Cyclone Judy, head to our RNZ Pacific website at rnzi.com. For the latest cyclone warning advisory, head on over to the VanMet website. That's vmgd.gov.vu. Four Papua New Guinean fishermen who were missing at sea for 21 days have been found alive southeast of Port Moresby of the village of Domara. The men, aged from 18 to 35, became lost on the 7th of February after they left Hanwabada on their 23-foot boat to go trawling. A relative of two of the fishermen and the coordinator of the search, Motu Lohia, says the men survived by eating drifting coconuts and fish before they were found by local fishermen. He speaks to Caleb Fotheringham about what happened. It was a thrilling moment to learn the outcome, a positive outcome that on the Monday morning at 5 a.m. that they were located at the east side of uh, Port Mosby, which is uh, the Domara village, a local village just in the central province. They obviously got found. How did they get found? From my brother's discussion we had, they had no more anchor on board, and they drifted all the way from Port Mosby to Alotau. Alotau is another province just north of Port Mosby, Milim Bay area. Then the southwesterly wind drifted them back again to central province side. And at the point they couldn't memorize the days or the weeks that they had already drifted. Prior to being found, they went on the reef and then they used the motor. Their own motor, since there was no anchor, they tied the motor and threw it on the reef as an anchor. And they stayed there for five days, only on the fifth day that they were found early morning by the fishermen of the local village Tomara. Did they know that they were outside that local village when they dropped their motor or anchor? 
Correct. Why is this Shinde had to do was once they were thrown into the reef side by the waves. If nothing was to be anchored, then they should have retreated back to the ocean again. So it was wise decision they made. So they were obviously out at sea for three weeks in total. How did they survive? They survived on uh, coconuts, dry coconuts that fell. They could see them, but the schools of fish, the tunas were swimming around them, and then they had to take the risk to swim to get those coconuts. Wow, so they were diving in the ocean and picking up these coconuts that just drifted past them. Yes, that's what they were doing. It was very risky because many of the oceans in Papua New Guinea are shark-infested. What about fish? Did they catch any fish? They did, but we're not used to eating raw fish, uh, but they did manage to cut some and put them and dry them up on the sun. To survive on water, they relied totally on the rain. So they feel that there was a 20-litre bucket and a 4-litre bucket. What condition are the men in now? When they were found by the villagers, they were pretty weak. My nephew, who was the 18-year-old, was so weak. Eyes just turned yellow, and, but then uh, the villagers battered them with the hot water and gave them some soup and some dehydration fluids, uh, like a sugar tea, hot tea with a lot of sugar in it, so yeah, sweetened to uh, rehydrate them again. So are they in Port Moresby at the moment, just recovering? Correct, yes. We also did our part in taking them up to Port Moresby General Hospital, and they were given drips and uh, some medications too. Are they still in hospital now? We were released just yesterday, last night, so they're back with us now, uh, in good order now, and, you know, having a chat with family and, you know, get something positive out of it. And how are the, all the family feeling? They must be over the moon. <laughs> Overwhelmed. Some of them have been suffering for the three weeks without proper meals, just been worried for them to return home, their loved ones, especially us. Immediate families were overjoyed. They could wake up uh, till early morning and two o'clock for us to receive us. The village was all packed with people. There was the very early hours. Were the men quite emotional when they arrived back in their village? It all started when my other cousins that went up. It started there. The boys were just overjoyed like they saw us and started weeping openly and they sh- showed their true emotions. And then when we took them to the village, it, and, you know, everybody were overjoyed. The tears of joy was just flowing freely, and everybody were overwhelmed. Was there ever any doubt that the men would not return safely? I had every faith. I never gave up hope. In all circumstances, in all situations, we kept praying, and we kept believing that the only thing that we knew is that there were not wreckage or debris that were found. And we knew in our faith and our heart that they were still drifting. And we knew we believed in that. And then 
the Defense Force, also the National Maritime Safety Authority, too, they spoke to me, giving assurance that uh, no wreckage has been found, so they believe they might be still floating. So what happened in the first place? How did they go missing? They were fishing. They already encountered the monsoon with the strong winds that blew. And they struggled a bit because uh, the other spot plug. The motors have two spot plugs. The other plug uh, malfunctioned, so it was not working at that time. Only one, so the consumption of the fuel increased. And that's how that the fuel just uh, finished rapidly. That's a time that they couldn't do much, so they were drifting. Did they say what it was like during the monsoon out at sea? Through their experiences as a fisherman, they felt the fear in them that, you know, it's about time, but they never gave up hope. Are the fishermen going to get back out in the water, do you think? (laughs) Definitely, brother. That's their livelihood, man. But every incident, there has to have the outcomes of learning. From those learning, it also goes to the national level that a small boat craft uh, acts that needs to be reviewed, I believe, for GPS to be installed, some uh, photo uh, sanitaries. These are big terms in the shipping that they use for life-saving apparatus, equipment that can be used as a life-saving in cases of emergencies or rescues for identification. The beginnings of a future political direction for New Caledonia could be unearthed in Numea this week. The French interior minister is due to land in the territory on Thursday for meetings with both loyalist and pro-independence groups. I spoke with Nick McClellan, a senior journalist, Ireland's business contributor and long-time writer on New Caledonian politics. And I began by asking him about the significance of an FLNKS Congress held in the lead-up to Damana's visit and the symbolism behind the location where they chose to hold it. The Congress of uh, Independence Activists in New Caledonia was held in uh, Ansvata, which is a beachside suburb in the south of the capital, Numea. It's quite significant in that the southern suburbs are very much the home of the wealthy elite in uh, the New Caledonian capital. And they uh, it's very much taking the argument to the heart of uh, the anti-independence uh, uh, bastion. Um, the southern suburbs have traditionally been uh, supported, uh, voters there have supported uh, anti-independence uh, conservative parties. Um, so this is the FLNKS making a statement that um, even after three referendums on self-determination between 2018 and 2021, that the decolonization issue is still alive. Now, we we had that last referendum, obviously the boycott, um, and then sort of no dialogue. This is a significant week, is it not, for the next step, so to speak, with engagement from the Canuck side? France's overseas minister, Gérard Damana, arrives... Uh, later this week, uh, for discussions with uh, all political parties in New Caledonia. Um, Both he and uh, his uh, assistant, Jean-Francois Karenko, visited New Caledonia last year, but those talks were essentially boycotted by the Canucks Socialist National Liberation Front, the main coalition of independence parties, 
and other key independent supporters. Um, the FLNKS remains angry about the way that France pushed through the December 2021 referendum, um, which, as you say, saw a massive uh, non-participation by uh, pro-independent supporters, particularly Indigenous Kanak. They've also expressed concern that France is uh, considering rolling back many of the key achievements of the Namira Accord. That's the 1998 agreement, which is basically the framework agreement, which has operated for nearly a quarter of a century um, and set uh, up the political institutions that today govern New Caledonia. Um, the talks later this week will be a crucial dialogue, therefore, between the independence movement and uh, the overseas minister. But it was also a time for the independence movement to come together. There are many different parties, uh, different organisations, trade unions, church supporters. Um, to forge one common position has been a long-standing difficulty. Uh, this was a really important meeting to develop a common voice to take into these crucial negotiations with the French state. And is there a sense that they did manage to forge a, a united voice coming out of it? Very much so. The main coalition, the FLNKS, includes four parties, uh, Union Caledonian and Palika, the Party of Kanak Liberation, are the two largest. But there are many other pro-independence formations outside the FLNKS, including the Labour Party and the USTKE Trade Union Confederation, uh, which has been pro-independence for many decades. There are many supporters of independence in the Église Evangelique, the main uh, Protestant denomination in New Caledonia, and other smaller political formations that want to see a change in political status, indeed want to see a sovereign and independent nation. What was striking was these uh, groups all came together at the Congress, uh, as well as the main parties in the FLNKS, and they've established a coordinating committee, the Comité Stratégique Indépendantiste, uh, which will bring together um, different formations who are all in support of independence uh, going forward with talks with the French state. That's very crucial because um, the French government uh, says that after the three referendums held under the Numir Accord, um, the self-determination process is coming to an end. Now, the FNKS obviously disagrees with that. And indeed, um, neighbouring Melanesian countries also disagree with that. And that was highlighted by the presence at the Congress uh, last weekend of the Director General of the Melanesian Spearhead Group, Leonard Loma. Now, um, despite the restrictions on voting rules, is it fair to say that Canucks are either close to or are outnumbered in terms of the 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 French versus indigenous Kanak populations in actuality in the territory? After generations of migration and settlement um, from France and from other French dependencies, particularly Wallace and Futuna and Tahiti, um, indigenous Kanaks uh, are a minority in the population, a significant minority, over 40% of the population. Um, but they've always had to seek support from people from other uh, communities in order to achieve a majority in any referendum on uh, political status. Um, although there hasn't been a, a breakthrough, it was clear from the 2018 referendum that the Evelyn case did much better than people were expecting, winning 43% support for independence. The next vote in 2020 uh, was 46%, so there's certainly momentum towards a majority uh, and that's why there was such anger when France pushed through the 2021 referendum 
in the middle of the pandemic and saw a massive drop-off of participation. Um, you know, most Indigenous Kanak, most independent supporters just didn't go to the polls. Um, France's Council of State says it was a valid vote. However, politically, uh, it's clear that it's not. If the colonised people, the Indigenous Kanak, didn't, weren't involved in this self-determination process, um, international opinion says very clearly from the United Nations and indeed from the Political Alliance Forum that this lacked credibility and legitimacy. And that's the battle that's being played out at the moment. The remaining question, though, is the deadline of elections uh, for May 2024. The local provincial assemblies and National Congress must hold their uh, five yearly elections. Previous elections under the Namir Accord have been held under a restricted electoral role, meaning only long-term residents, people there since 1998, um, can vote. Now, that's meant that some 40,000-plus French nationals who are eligible to vote for the French National Assembly, the French Senate, the European Parliament, can't vote for their local political institutions. Anti-independence parties are wanting to unfreeze, to open up this electoral role, so that these tens of thousands of French nationals can vote for the local Congress, the local provincial assemblies. Not surprisingly, the independence movement is deeply opposed to that reform. And this is one of the central issues facing uh, the French overseas minister when he arrives uh, in coming days. Always a pleasure, Nick. Thank you so much for insights and clarity on a very complex political situation. I uh, appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Karoy. A charitable organisation based in Australia is making waves in the literary world by promoting the work of Indigenous authors and writers from the Greater Pacific. The founder of First Nations Writers, Anna Bortzi, has travelled across four Pacific countries to find out how they might support more Pacific authors to write. Ms Bortzi plans to invite Pacifica writers to her festival in Townsville to speak about their books and get published internationally. She says that her motivation to canvass the whole of the Pacific for authors is that she believes there are so many important stories that need to be told for the world. Jan Kohot spoke with Anna Bortzi about her vision. After this thorough trip, what are your thoughts on the writing culture in the Greater Pacific? My thoughts on that, uh, having just come back from two weeks visiting writers in uh, the Melanesian countries, is so vibrant, so keen. Uh, their production is low, and I think that's because there has been insufficient support of what they actually produce. And so they were very interested to hear what we were doing. But I think the writing culture, I mean, it's a, an incredibly rich and intellectual cultures across the greater Pacific. So you'd expect them to want to write, yeah. So what made you travel to the greater Pacific? Doing it across the greater Pacific, which, you know, goes from Australia up to Timor-Leste, West Papua, Papua New Guinea, all through Melanesia, over to the South Pacific and up north and around. So it's quite a substantial um, group of people, and they're simply not getting published. I have never owned a television, me personally, and all I've done is read all my life, and I can't find books from the greater Pacific. And they've got the best stories in the world, you know, the diversity of rich cultures, and I think that if I'm missing those stories, other people around the world are too. How many places have you travelled? You've, you've travelled to 
several different Pacific countries, but you've gone to universities, um, bookshops, um, and villages even. Uh, What kind of places did you go? Oh, yes, we've been everywhere. We spoke to everyone. There were three volunteers. We went to universities, libraries. We met with uh, writing uh, writers associations, young ones, men and women. Um, and we would speak to the taxi driver and people. <laughs> people we met everywhere. We went to markets to encourage uh, people from the villages. The countries we went to this time uh, were um, Fiji, Vanuatu, New Caledonia and Solomon Islands. So all, all the Melanesian countries, but that wasn't by design. We proposed doing all of them eventually, but we had to start somewhere, yeah. And going to all these places, uh, obviously uh, lack of funding, but was there anything else that was hard for writers to, to get in, in those places? Uh, yes. I mean, I think um, I think they're not being rewarded uh, for the work they put in. They're not getting the public recognition um, or enough public recognition. Um, and you know, these are the sorts of things that we want to put and bring and put on the table to help them get the global uh, recognition that they should for what are magnificent stories. You know, I mean, the, some of the best scientists in the world come from the Greater Pacific, unrecognised but increasingly being recognised. And we believe the same applies to stories from the Greater Pacific. And so we want to take those stories international as well. That's Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us for free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Look at Mufala next time more.